For RCR TV, I'm Sean Kinney, and welcome to HetNet Happenings, where we take a look at all things DAS, small cell, Wi-Fi, and much more. Welcome back to HetNet Happenings. We've got a great show for you this week, and as promised, a lot of content from Mobile World Congress. RCR had a big crew over there in the field in Barcelona for the show. We produced a ton of great news content and video content that I'd encourage you to take a look at at rcrwireless.com and our RCR Wireless News YouTube channel. But far and away, the dominant themes at Mobile World Congress this year were 5G and IoT, and that sort of overlap between the two, which is where you see some of these really interesting use cases that are a few years down the road, but still taking shape today. And just off the top, I mean, autonomous driving, tactile internet, these are both areas that can apply to lots of different verticals, but really will require the throughput that 5G promises. So it was really exciting to see how since the previous year, 5G had really developed and become much more tangible and much more real. So that was really exciting, and I had the opportunity to discuss some of those big issues around 5G, IoT, virtualization, and, and open source with our editor-in-chief, Dan Meyer. So let's take a look at that conversation. Cool. All right, folks. Well, we are back from a really busy week at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, and we thought now that we've uh, had a moment to digest everything that we heard, it would be apropos to do a little bit of a news roundup. So I'd like to introduce our editor-in-chief here at RCR Wireless News, Dan Meyer. And uh, Dan, you know, obviously 5G was the, the dominant theme at Mobile World Congress. Lots of big vendor announcements around carrier trials that are coming up. So what was your take on all this? Do you feel like we're still dealing with 5G as a marketing term? Or do you get the impression that with these waves of trials, we're going to see something a little more concrete? Yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, hey, first of all, thanks. Good to join you again. But uh, I think uh, it is definitely migrating towards being more of a real thing. I mean, obviously, I think leading up to the uh, show, you know, I think we were expecting a lot of 5G talk. I mean, that's been kind of a lot over the past several months anyway. Uh, but still, you know, obviously, when it comes to what actually 5G is, that's still, uh, I think we're years away from what that's going to be. But, uh, you know, I guess this always tends to happen when it comes to new technology. 4G was the same way. I mean, it took years and years of people talking about it before we actually got to it. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, I guess I was a bit surprised by the amount of 5G talk because uh, it did seem like, you know, again, you were there in person. Uh, you did tons of stories from the show. It seemed like uh, 5G was part of almost every conversation there. Uh, and so uh, I guess I was a bit surprised by the, by the depth of it, but uh, maybe I shouldn't have been as surprised because, you know, it is one of those things where, you know, 4G is obviously, I think we've kind of run the course there in terms of, uh, at least from a marketing perspective. Uh, and so, yeah, I guess uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, we got to move to the next one anyway, so. Uh, it was interesting to see that. I guess, you know, for yourself, I mean, you were there on site again. Did it seem like it was as 5G-centric uh, as it seemed from, from afar? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I would say that, you know, and part and parcel of the, the discussion that was meant to make 5G seem more real was this big emphasis on use cases. So this is where you get into that sort of overlap between 5G and then the Internet of Things applications that it will ultimately enable. So we saw some really cool 
visualizations of like clouds of drones being deployed for agricultural monitoring and management purposes. And then we saw a lot of emphasis on um, not just autonomous vehicles, but also remotely operated vehicles, which if you can imagine maybe in a uh, large industrial mining site, you would have, uh, you know, conveyors that are autonomously moving materials. Then you would also have vehicles that are being remotely operated. So there's a huge, you know, loss of liability associated that. But when we're talking about robots driving themselves and then robots driving other robots using the tactile internet, it becomes a little apparent that we're a few years away from that, but it is, it's a compelling vision. But I guess one of the things I took away is that as we approach that vision, we're going to hit a lot of incremental benchmarks along the way because I, you know, I'm sitting here talking to these people thinking, you know, wow, that's great. I'd love to make a Volte call on my smartphone. If maybe we could do that. <laughs> so I do, I do think, as that technology matures towards 5G, you know, well, obviously it'll follow the standard, right? So we'll see a lot of these uh, LTE Advanced Pro standard applications actually come live on commercial uh, networks. So that'll be stuff like uh, carrier aggregation and support for massive MIMO. So it, it was exciting to see what the future is going to look like. But I think I would have appreciated a little more emphasis on the incremental steps to getting there. That's a good point. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think, I think the use cases that they've been talking about and obviously showing there, I mean, those are amazing. You know, back when 4G was just first being talked about, I mean, the, the, the use cases then were so much, you know, so quaint, it seems at the time. I mean, now they're looking at such big things now to do. And that's impressive. But, but I also agree. I mean, hey, you know, get, getting closer to Skynet's always a great thing. But I agree with you when you're saying that I wish we could kind of, you know, instead of making these big leaps, that we could kind of fine tune 4G for now. Because like you said, it's still, uh, you know, we're still not quite there with 4G at this point. I mean, obviously, the marketing aspect of 4G is already out there, but the actual technical requirements of 4G, we still haven't kind of seen that yet in the commercial deployments. And so uh, that's still kind of, yeah, I wish we were there because, I mean, you know, I, I, like you said, the multi-call situation, I mean, I would great, it'd be great if multi-calls were consistent even across the same carrier. It seems like over the past several months, I've got a multi phone myself and the call quality has just degraded rapidly in Volte on the same network. And so even just getting the basics of 4G right would be a great uh, first step and at least make it seem like, you know, we could take an except to 5G at some point. But I agree with you. It's, it still seems like we're, you know, we're still so far away from those, uh, those 5G moments. And, you know, the smart people will get it, get it figured out. But uh, in the near term, I wish we could get the, the basics correct on 4G before making that, that big 5G. So we'll see how that plays. But. Yeah, and now I wanted to uh, discuss with you a little bit sort of the, um, the software side of all of this. Uh, obviously, along the way to 5G, we're going to see operators virtualize their networks using NFV and, and SDN. And this is, I mean, it's something that is, is a, a great way to drive efficiency today but might not necessarily be absolutely imperative to the management of your network. But when we do talk about these 5G use cases, it, it really does become apparent that the sheer volume of data and the way that it needs to be orchestrated is going to require NFV and SDN. So I was curious from your perspective, you kind of lead our coverage around this. Did you hear anything out of Mobile World Congress that, that gave you the impression that, uh, we're going to start to see maybe a more a rapid uptake of virtualization. I mean, it was definitely good to see a lot of companies talking about their, their advances when it comes to virtualization. Uh, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of people working together, 
Uh, I mean, it's very similar to the 5G issue in the fact that, you know, we're still working towards standards when it comes to virtualization too. And so, uh, you know, to kind of see people cooperating, uh, partnerships on this, it's, it's, it, there was some good movement there. But a lot of the stuff I've seen and people I talked to during the show and, and before the show, it still seems like we're so far away from any sort of, you know, real commercial broad deployment of virtualization that, uh, that you know, I, I think we're still, you know, I'm not too... Uh, to up on that being a very near-term kind of thing. I think we still got a ways to go with that. To me, it's very similar to 5G. I think we still got so many more years to go uh, to really get virtualization deployed throughout our network to a level that is gonna be needed to handle uh, what is being talked about in terms of 5G, to be able to control 5G, I mean, autonomy is gonna be a big part of this. Uh, we're still seeing so far away from that, that moment that, uh, you know, again, it's good to talk about it and get it out there because at least we can get working on it. But uh, I'm still very, uh, I wouldn't say pessimistic, but I think it's going to be a, a years and years before we actually see some broader deployments of this. I mean, I'm working on a report now looking at the space, and uh, that was one of the things I'm just talking to people about is that we're still so far away from actual broader deployments of this. I mean, it's still such an early, you know, uh, uh, concepts being, being worked through, but um, that's still kind of like where we are. I mean, again, it was good to see some, uh, some agreements at the show, but uh, I think some of the 5G, I think we're still a ways away from uh, seeing uh, broader deployments there. Yeah, my perspective of being over there was um, you're, you're kind of right on the realities of, of NFV and SDN, but you hit on something that I thought was a really dominant theme around software, and that was uh, collaboration. Um, this is, uh, to, just to give you an example, uh, during the show, Huawei announced a project called OpenO, where they're working with uh, Linux Foundation, China Mobile, and a number of other partners to really wrap their minds around how would you integrate all of these 5G systems, how would you orchestrate them from the software level. But the point I'm trying to make here is they didn't have any tangible results, but they were emphasizing the fact that the only way they foresee doing this at scale and in a manner that's quick enough to take advantage of a, of a value proposition in the market is to do it together. And that was sort of a theme that kept coming up over and over again is, I mean, it's, it's borderline philosophical, like we've reached sort of an inflection point in the industry where the only way to keep going at this pace is to sort of drop with the proprietary walls and then move on forward. One thing I wanted to get your perspective on, so in the future as products are coming to market that have this basis in collaboration in open source initiatives. How do you differentiate and make money if everybody's using sort of the same foundation? What does X company do to use the same information but still make money? How do they? How do they differentiate? How do they stay competitive? Yeah, that's that's the, that's a million dollar that's a billion dollar question, the trillion dollar question. That's that's going to be the, the, the key to this, and that's been always kind of the issue around open source is you know if everybody's collaborating and and, and you know everybody's sitting around the campfire sharing everything. Uh, you're right. I mean, these are all businesses at the end of the day, and they're all trying to make money. Uh, that's that's the big challenge, right? And I'm not sure that has still been worked out yet. I think, uh, you know, I think at this point, people are talking very collaboratively about this and, and, and the need to work on these things together. But I think historically, we've seen in the, at least the telecom space is that uh, there's always these IP battles that happen. And uh, people always want to get their piece of the pie on this. And you know, while, you know, I like to, like to at least see people talk about this stuff. I like, I, obviously, it would be great for everybody to work together. Um, that's going to be the trick. And you're right. I mean, the companies that uh, don't have a lot of IP in this, they're going to be, you know, difficult to work with, and it's going to be a challenge. So that's, I don't know, that's going to be the biggest challenge for all of this is going to be, you know, getting people uh, on, this, on the same page, but then you're right. How do you make money off it? And that's going to be where, 
you know, it's going to take a lot of uh, big advances from these companies to really try to differentiate themselves in the market when it comes to what they can do differently. Because otherwise, you know, what's the point? I mean, obviously from a carrier's perspective, that's what they want. They want to be able to just pick and choose who they want, you know, and make it, you know, really flat rate pricing and everything. Uh, but for the vendors out there, you know, for the established vendors like the Ericsson's and the Nokia's and the Huawei's of the world, you know, they've got a, a legacy business model that they have to try to protect to an extent. And so, It'll be interesting to see how they play that out because uh, that's going to be a big challenge for, for all these guys going forward. I mean, there's big companies that don't want to give up their, uh, their profits. So um, th that's to be seen. That's still going to be a big challenge. So I guess to-, to well, I have no answer for you, basically. <laughs> hey, if you did, we probably would not be doing this. But, uh, true, true. So yeah, I guess to bring that full circle, my sort of big takeaway from Mobile World Congress is if you, if you look at the vision of 5G, and you look at what needs to happen on the software side to bridge that gap to 5G, uh, I feel like we're going to see a, a really massive sea change in the way that carriers and vendors model their businesses. Yeah. You know, when we talk about this volume of data and adding connections to all of these objects, it just is not going to work under the current way that data is priced. Or, I mean, it, why, absolutely it'll work, but no one will be able to afford it. So I, that's what I really gathered out of all of this is the telecom business, it's going to stay lucrative and it's going to stay innovative, but the underlying business models are going to have to really change in the next five years. So I uh, kind of look forward to seeing that play out. I sure uh, think that that sets the stage to see a lot of differentiation, to see some people really take off and really take advantage of that sort of market gap while other people might late start, might struggle out of the gate, and that, that might kind of doom you in the short term. So uh, really a lot of stuff to think about. It was an informative show, and I appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us, Dan. So like I said, IoT and 5G really were the dominant themes but I want to give you an idea of what sort of the ultimate vision of 5G and IoT is. And so to do that, let's take a look at a conversation with Ulf Ewaldson, who's the Chief Technology Officer at Ericsson. The most important here is, of course, that we are predicting 28 billion connected devices by 2021, as 5G is very much an Internet of Things kind of technology. Now then, looking at the use cases, what is really 5G? And obviously we get a lot of questions around this. These are categories of use cases that we think are the dominating ones crystallizing out of the discussions that are having on a global basis of what this technology can be used for. First of all, sensors everywhere. And already now, and you are very well aware that we were able to, uh, to get uh, uh, narrowband IoT as an evolution of LTE, where we have created a 200 kilohertz bearer in LTE that we can use for uh, that we can use for for addressing uh, sensors and, and, and sensor technology out there, both active, where we can uh, send instructions to sensors to do things, and also sense things and get feedback on that. So, both of these are very big use cases, and here is where you will find a lot of these different devices and there is a lot of discussions uh, I would say on, on, on industry players today of how sensor technology can be tied in with the cellular networks. Broadband and media everywhere is a very clear use case. I think you're aware that during CTIA last year in the United States Verizon went out and announced their 5G development being focused on broadband and media everywhere. So this is really you would say a use case where 4K television if you will will be going over the mobile system. 
And I'm sure that we are looking and we are thinking about even things like uh, the Tokyo Olympics and, and, and perhaps the Korean Olympics in the same sense of creating a totally new experience for users where broadband and media everywhere would be. And those are part of our predicted 150 million uh, uh, mobile subscriptions that will have 5G by 2021. So then that's very clear. So, well, just one question. Do you expect, do you expect traditional um, broadcast distribution for um, high, high bandwidth television or media to, re to be replaced by, by 5G technology? No, we don't. I would like, I will come back to that. So let's try to save some of the questions for a little bit of Q&A later, because otherwise we will not get through this. And, and I think also because we have, uh, we are providing a webcast, so there will be people out there that want you to use a microphone when you're putting your questions. So that question was about media, and do we expect the media to be to be replaced? Uh, the traditional broadcasting would be replaced by, by cellular. No, we don't. We expect these two technologies to merge into something new, where 5G will play an important role. So then moving on, smart vehicles and, and smart transport solutions, very important part of this. We all know that uh, cellular technology of all kinds is being built into vehicles as we speak. 5G is embracing that, and we, as we are discussing about the uh, driver-assisted um, uh, evolution of vehicle and, and, and transport industry, as well as eventually, perhaps, autonomous driving, uh, all of that would rely on using some very, very fast and responsive technology where we think that 5G has a very good fit. Um, then we have infrastructure monitoring and, and, and uh, and uh, control, which is another uh, very uh, important area of, of cities and how cities develop uh, in the future. And I think uh, we will see a lot of discussions around how um, the future uh, digital analytics platforms, etc., control infrastructure of all kinds, but also in relationship to telecom networks. So here's an area where the IT industry is growing together with the telecom industry using similar analytics technology. Critical control of remote devices. This is really where factory, production, manufacturing, anything that has a, uh, as a, as a critical control. I would say robotics is a very good example. So you are looking at using the kind of latencies that we have in 5G. And last year in Mobile World Congress, you might remember that we had a digger out here that was digging the ground. And, and, and that was the first example of that. Go out to the exhibition later, you will see many of these kind of things where we are remote controlling this and that by using 5D technology. And then you have interaction uh, and human IoT, and that is really where you get that response back to humans using this technology. And uh, perhaps you are aware of something called haptic, uh, haptic experiences, and that means really that you get an immediate feedback on something in a remote control or whatever. If it's if you're tilting something, you would feel in your hand that it's tilting and, and so forth. And that needs a very, very low latency, why it's a very good fit with 5G. So this summarizes the main areas of use cases, and you will be able to use these categories as we go forward looking at the different things that we're going to present to you in terms of partnerships and other things that we are doing. Now, having said that, we need some really big architectural vision for how we're going to draft out 5G. And here is the 5G architecture that we are working with. This will be an evolution, of course, of the 4G world that we live in. 
today, but it really shows and divides up the operator space in three important domains. The access and mobility domain, the service provider core, the service provider IT cloud. On this each side here, here are all the clouds in the world. <laughs> and that, uh, basically every enterprise is going dig through digitalization. Either they put their applications in the Amazon cloud, for example, or in their own cloud, or in some sort of cloud infrastructure. On this side are all devices in the world that would be connected. And that could be anything from a light switch to a projector to a car to a remote control drone to a mobile handset, whatever that is. And what we want to do with this is very simple. We want to connect all these devices in the world through the network to all clouds in the world. The other big trend which is very important to remember is that this architecture becomes like a, lay it's a layered kind of architecture. And we come from an industry where everything has been in this way. So you talked about a radio base station. A radio base station is in this way. It has a, its own control system, it has its own management system, it has its own uh, modulation, its own chips, its own da-da-da, whatever, down to uh, the radio transmission. And with this architecture, we're getting a much more layered way. So, for example, the management and control, analytics and so on, will stretch all the way from the Amazon cloud all the way over to even perhaps being included in the device as such. That's what we're trying to achieve, and this, that's why this picture is very important. It illustrates a big movement that you could see in the whole industry. So this is not an Ericsson pitch for an Ericsson product. This is a development for what is happening in the entire telecom industry as it becomes merged with the IT industry. And this is the same if you're an IBM or if whatever, if you're a, if you're a Cisco, for example, who is a strategic partner to us when it comes to the transport layer and the control together with the transport. So you could take almost any press release that you see in the Mobile World Congress and you can plot it into a picture like this and you could see the strategic moves by almost every company. So that's the vision for 5G and all of the different things that it can enable. What are the carriers doing to realize that vision? So to answer that question, first we're going to take a look at a clip with AT&T Mobility President Glenn Lurie, who's discussing this with Hans Vestberg, who's the CEO of Ericsson. Let's take a look at that. Yes, please come over here. Glenn, good to have you here. It's great to be here, thanks. Uh, I talk about IoT and uh, where the industries go and different operators are taking different roles. What is the role that AT&T is taking in IoT? You have been working on it for quite a while. We have, surely. I think many of you know, and you know very well. We got into IoT really in 08. We put a team on this, but we're just scratching the surface of where IoT is going. And what you've seen us do, Hans, is we work with you, whether it's on connected car. You know, the last four quarters alone, we've added a million cars uh, to our network. We now have almost seven million cars. We've worked very heavily on industrial uh, side. We did 300 deals last year. So we have been in this, and we view this as really a great opportunity because what you said is exactly right. Everything in our lives is going to be connected. And we've said forever, if a device isn't connected, it's dumb. Yeah. If a device is connected, it's smart. Yeah. 
And uh, one of the services that we are in discussion of yeah. bringing internationally, it's the digital life solution that yeah. you have. Sure. What is that? Because that's also going in a totally new direction for an operator, I would say. It is. So we, we are always looked at where we find new opportunities. Right? We have this wonderful network we spend billions and billions of dollars on, obviously, with you as well. And inside of that network, we were looking at where are things that are that make sense for us. Obviously, the connected home really falls into IoT. And when you look at the United States specifically, there's been very little innovation around the connected home. In fact, the company sat back and really didn't do much. And so we said, look, if we can get into this, just be a bit of a disruptor, come in. We, we, so we went out and made an acquisition and launched what we call Digital Life, which is home security and automation. But what's exciting about it is every device in the home is wireless. So we have five different protocols in the box. We launched this in 2012, we're in 83 markets. And the last uh, two years, we've led the industry in the United States in net growth in that business. But what's more exciting is that we want to go license this outside of the United States. And we announced a deal last year with Telefonica. Uh, very excited about that because they went and searched the world for the best platform, came back and said, we'd like to work with you. And now we're going to work with you guys to help us go take that to the whole world and license this, this opportunity. And this platform is really phenomenal. I'm very proud of it. And, and, and it's very much like for an Ericsson, when you evolve as a company, you start to meet in totally new competition. I mean, of course, when you go into Dig the Life, Home Security, it's totally new competitors. It's not the known ones that you used to have. The same with, you know, one of the things about IoT is it's very verticalized, yeah. right? So you go into the automotive space and it's a whole new set of competition, right? And then you go into a home, and what we found is, is a lot, like I said, a lot of folks just weren't innovating around the home. So we were able to change every aspect of what it is in the home. Think about the installation of something that's all wireless, right? So you've got one-way and two-way protocols in the house, so it makes it much easier for us to go install. It also allows us to give a user interface that's phenomenal, allows you to connect that, by the way, to your home, to your car, to your smartphone, so you really start to mobilize people's lives, which is the goal. Cool. We also announced very recently, actually last week, that we we're going to work very tight together on 5G, which yeah. is of course something exciting. So working with all this IoT, being head of wireless, what type of use case do you see for 5G? Well, I think you said it very well. 5G is all about speed. Everyone's talking about speed and yeah. latency, which is all very, very important. It's about efficiencies. But I also think what's exciting is what it does for IoT, yeah. right? Because the future of our business is connecting everything. And when you think about those speeds, those latencies, you think about a layer in there for IoT with low power, yeah. right? Which gives us the ability to do a lot. I mean, one of the announcements we just made together yeah. at CES was our Smart Cities announcement. And we're working very closely. Uh, he was very good on stage, by the way. Um, <laughs> we were working very closely on this smart cities. And the key to smart cities is if you're going to put a sensor on every light to try to work traffic, you can't, the model goes upside down if you have to go change out batteries. Yeah. Obviously, the 10-year battery life is very important. But it's all about efficiencies and us being very efficient in how the network works with these devices. Very good. I think we give a big hand for Glenn Lurie. Thank you. President CEO of So that was sort of the big picture discussion from Glenn Lurie and Hans Vestberg. Now let's get a little bit more down into the nuts and bolts and talk about some of the incremental steps that we'll see from carriers ahead of 5G. 
To do that, we're going to chat with Rick Keithley, who's the SVP of Wireless Network Architecture and Design for AT&T. Because, you know, it, it, it is talking about very high speeds, uh, but the, the IoT aspect of it is very high connection density. So, you know, I think you're right that when you think about uh, what the possibility is, it really is limited only by your imagination. Uh, if you look at the path to get there, though, a lot of things have to happen. So the standards work have to be done first. Right now, it looks like release 15 will be the first standard in mid-2018. Then it'll be release 16, end of 2019. Uh, once we have that blueprint, then we can actually, in earnest, start deploying at scale the, the equipment that is standards compliant and you know, would, would have economy of scale globally to start doing some of those things. You know, I, I guess I would also note, though, uh, with LTE, there's some new functions and technology called LTEM and narrowband uh, that are, are going to provide lots of, of new IoT functions. So I don't think we necessarily have to wait for 5G to get there. Uh, you're going to see lots of innovation on the technology we have out there today. You know, that's really hard to predict, but I guess I would give you this to consider. If with narrowband IoT, we can go enable very low-cost chipsets, 10-year and beyond battery life, and we can do that with a software upgrade to our existing network, and, and in essence, instantaneously deploy a, a nationwide connectivity-based network. You know, it, I say instantaneously, it's as soon as you can roll the software out after it's available. Then I think it would make it hard to justify investing in a brand new technology overlay with, with new radio equipment, um, when in fact we can use all of the synergy that we have with the existing LTE network. So I think our view of the, that is that that's probably a good way to go versus trying to invest in a different technology. Well, I guess I would say the, the trial work that we're doing. So in order to make sure we get the standards right, we announced earlier, I, I think it was uh, last week, that we were going to do some trials. So we're going to start looking at, at centimeter and millimeter wave spectrum, what the, the channel performance is like, how you would optimize it in real-world RF conditions, what are some of the handoff criteria. Uh, and we can use all of those learnings to plow into the standards work. So that's probably the next benchmark is, is real-life trials and then the application of those trials and the learnings from those into the standards. Actually, you're going to see that. Um, in general, LT Advanced Pro is defined as the features that are coming in Release 13, Release 14, and beyond. Uh, release 13 is baked. In fact, uh, narrowband LTE and, and Category M, those are going to be part of Release 13. They're a little bit behind what's, what's going to be finished now, but by the summer those should be all done. Uh, you know, you're going to see things launch, incremental carrier aggregation combinations. So even though we talk a lot about 5G, a, a lot of the promise of that, you're going to see beginnings of it in, in what we do with LTE. Uh, and frankly, a lot of the use cases that you're hearing about in 5G can be served by LTE. So I don't think it's going to be a, a really jagged jump. Uh, it might be when it comes to these gigabit speeds, but you're going to see lots of evolution and performance improvement on the way. Well, you know, core is not sexy. It's the RF that's <laughs> sexy. But the reality is when you, when you look at how we're going to go build the 5G core, 
it will be a virtualized platform controlled with SDN. Uh, and, and we really think the work that we're already doing in that space will be foundational. Uh, and by the way, it will be part of the standards. In fact, leading up through release 16, we're really expecting a virtualized access agnostic core to be delivered in that release 16 standard. So you don't hear a lot of people talking about it, but those aspects and, and those um, principles will be foundational to, to 5G, and we'll need those to deliver the 5G promise. You know, there are so many different use cases. Um, they, they fall into three different areas. So if you think about the ability to do really cool, fast things, run gigabits per second, you know, you, you can envision uh, 10 to 20 4K displays being delivered simultaneously to a location using this technology. Uh, any, anything that you can imagine that requires these super high speeds will now become possible. Uh, maybe more interesting than that though is what we talked about at the beginning and that's the ability to connect virtually anything. Uh, you, you've seen things like connected cars happen. We're talking now about smart cities. Uh, can you imagine that it, instead of trying to hunt a parking spot, that you could go to an app on your phone and it would tell you exactly where the next best parking spot to your location would be? Uh, can you imagine if we could actually use that technology to help improve and control traffic flow? Look, I live in Atlanta, so I would, I would love to, to be able to improve you know, commute times by 20, 30, 50 percent. And I think this technology holds the promise of being able to do things like that. But really the, the, the excitement comes in just whatever you can imagine. People talk about virtual reality and being able to enable that. I mean that's not necessarily my thing, but you know I'm not a millennial and doing real-time gaming is not necessarily something I would be interested in, but you're gonna see a lot of folks that fall in love with that. I don't see a lot of potential hazards, but I will tell you this is not simple work. Uh, when you think about using millimeter wave spectrum and running gigabits per second in a live customer environment uh, in, in spectrum that's got big channels uh, that very much bounces off walls and bounces off people walking, there's a lot of technical work to go do to make that happen. Uh, it's, it's not a slam dunk. I have no doubt that we will achieve it, uh, but lots of research that's why the trials are so important to start getting some of those learnings. Uh, it's also important that the industry doesn't fragment, that we actually come together and, and form this standard and agree on it. Because without this blueprint and the creation of, of really a global ecosystem, uh, we won't get the benefits of the technology. Now, I do believe that'll happen, but it's much easier said than done. Part of the incremental steps come around chipset development. So we're going to have to go have chipsets uh, that contain the spectrum, the centimeter, millimeter wave spectrum. So those are fundamental to being able to develop both the infrastructure and the devices. Uh, and in order to get the right power control uh, and the right cost structures, we need those to really be ASICs instead of FPGAs. So chipset work comes first. Uh, and, or I guess I could say it, it comes first and in parallel with the work to develop this equipment. Uh, and it may seem slow, but I'll tell you, there's a lot of work going on by our partners and ourselves 
to go get this right. Uh, and in fact, that's, that's why you see the trial announcements now, because that equipment is now available, the chipsets that we can use are available. So given that, now you'll see lots of this ramp up and, and go faster. Where are you on the, uh, the beam forming and steering? Well, that will be part of the trial. So when, when one of the advantages of this very high frequency spectrum is that the antenna elements can now be very small. So we can build antennas that have 64 elements in an array, even larger than that. And, and those are very conducive to, to technologies like beam forming, beam steering, beam sharing. Um, so part of the work we do with these trials will be to, to see how those uh, work with the technology. So we've heard the vision. We've heard a little bit about how the carriers are working to support that vision. But it might be time to take a maybe a little more skeptical perspective on the whole conversation. To do that, I had a chance to talk with Monica Paolini, who frequently contributes to RCR Wireless News, who is the president of Sinza Feely Consulting. Uh, Monica had a really busy Mobile World Congress schedule. She gave a few really well-received talks around LTEU and small cells. And so when I ran into Monica, I wanted to get her perspective on not just what 5G is going to be down the line, but what we can do today to really get the most out of our LTE networks as we work towards 5G. So let's hear from Monica Paolini. So, uh, yeah, there has been a, a, a lot of attention on 5G. Everybody talks about 5G. Um, I get a sense there is a lot of PowerPoint uh, in there. Um, and um, uh, there is a lot of the, the marketing effort to pack everything that is new under the 5G uh, label. And I think that in, in a way that does, uh, doesn't do a good service to the amount of innovation that is going on. Uh, it's, uh, it's more than capacity and, or, and low latency. There is a lot of work that's being done in parallel uh, along multiple lines. And I think that that's, that's quite exciting. Uh, a lot of it is really in the long term. So uh, I'm a little bit skeptical about some of the trials that are being announced, some of the short-term um, uh, initiatives. Uh, it's not entirely clear what, what they're trying to deal, but when I do talk to vendors, when I do talk to operators, um, they really like the idea of 5G, for sure, but they're much more pressed to solve uh, uh, concerns and needs that they have today. Um, one of them that uh, it's really coming to the fore it's uh, QOE. Um, and QOE, obviously operators always wanted to make their, their subscribers happy, so there's nothing new there. Uh, but they're, they're get, becoming more and more aware of the complexity of making those con the subscribers happy. In a voice environment it's easy. If you have a call, the call quality is good, that's easy, that's all you need to do. Uh, not easy, but it's, it's, a, it's a much, it's, it's easier to track it. Uh, when you have multiple um, uh, data applications, what makes a subscriber happy is difficult to capture, changes depending on where you are, changes depending on what device you have, what, uh, uh, you know, are you doing video, I mean streaming video, conversational video, voice uh, over, uh, over the top voice, VoIP or uh, Volti. So there is all sorts of different um, 
the perception changes from the subscriber point of view and from an operator point of view to try to adapt that it's, it's a real challenge and uh, I, I just finished a report on that and it's uh, um, it's really interesting to see how that changes the way the operator optimizes the network and this is something that uh, there is a lot to be done a lot of uh, um, uh, capabilities that the operators have to increase the value that they extract for the existing infrastructure. So the first, uh, you know, the, the first thing you want to do is to make sure you use whatever infrastructure you have in the most effective way. And then obviously you want to increase the capacity moving forward, absolutely, but what you want to do today, increase the value of, uh, you squeeze out of the assets you have. Oh yeah, well there is a, there is a lot of innovation from, um, I would say that every vendor I talk to, they just constantly talk about QoE, I mean that everybody that's in the uh, optimization, uh, well optimization, testing and monitoring because it's all coming together and policy as well. I think that uh, the focus on QoE gives the operators a way to put together the marketing, the policy, the services part with the optimization of the network together. And it's important that they are together because in a network you are uh, resource constrained. There's just so much uh, capacity that you have. So you want to use it in a way that maximizes the potential for revenue um, and the potential for uh, subscriber satisfaction. So on one end you need to tie into the the, 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 mar the marketing service offerings and policy, and on the other on the other hand, things like run optimization and the core optimization, and so the two are coming together, and it's a big cultural shift because traditionally in the operators uh, uh, organization you have the two units that are separate; they don't talk much to each other, and they have to start talking to each other, and uh, so that makes the operator work in a very different perspective. So you're not the operator is not trying to push as much uh, uh, um, bits through their channels, they're trying to choose the bits that they're sending. So obviously you want to send as many as you want in, in general, you don't want to reduce capacity, but you want to be careful about how you use that capacity. And other things like latency are becoming important. Uh, um, I was listening to the Telefonica CTO the other day, and uh, one thing that he said it was, I think, very refreshing was that uh, it's not just throughput, it's not about throughput. Latency is just as important, if not more important, for some applications. So you might have, um, you know, no matter how many megabits per second on your phone, but if the latency is too high, your video experience sucks. So there is there is many more dimensions in the data that we need to take care of, and how they interact with each other. So um, there is a lot of opportunity, but there is a lot of work uh, and a lot of learning to do. That was just a brief look at some of the content that we produced for you over at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. Really was an exciting event and really does do a lot to shape the industry discourse for the year to come. If you want a much more comprehensive look at the show, I think we have 90 some odd clips that we produced in the field over there up on the RCR Wireless News YouTube channel, as well as comprehensive news coverage on rcrwireless.com. So take a look at that. In the meantime, I'm Sean Kinney. Thanks for tuning in to HeadNet Happenings. 
HatNet Happenings is a production of RCR-TV. To reach Sean Kinney or to suggest a show topic for HatNet Happenings, you can reach Sean at skinney at rcrwireless.com. On Twitter at Sean Kinney RCR. To find out more about the latest in HatNet and all things wireless, dig into rcrwireless.com.